0: Kevin and Nicole, thank you. Thank you for sharing your story with us. Uh, as we're, we're continuing in this series, How to Neighbor, uh, it was probably about two, three months ago when she asked if I'd start preparing this message and, and thinking about like how to neighbor. And for me, uh, in that process of, you know, just thinking about the series as a whole, uh, it was kind of honestly kind of convicting as I was processing, like, am I even a good neighbor. And there's been some things that have happened with, with our own neighbors, like the people that live right next to us that, uh, that have been just challenging and difficult, because sometimes neighboring can be hard. And, and then as, we've been, as I've been preparing this message and thinking about this message and the series of, of this how to neighbor, uh, you know, two weeks ago, Shay talked about, like, how do we neighbor those that are different than us? Uh, and we talked about racism, and it was, it, I mean, Shay just did a great job and it was a really challenging message. And then last week, we, we, we talked about how to neighbor the orphan, uh, and and the, the group from Ennis was here with foster care and adoption and had a lot of great conversations. Hopefully, hopefully those of you who God was moving in your heart to, to move in that direction had those conversations. If, if you missed uh, any of the last two weeks, I'd really encourage you to go check out grumla.com slash messages, uh, and, and you can get caught up there, or you can go to Grumla Church anywhere you guys grab your podcasts, uh, and, and you can get caught up on the series. Well, as, as has been mentioned a couple of times this morning, we're going to be talking about an issue that that I think all of us, uh, you know, would, would probably say, yeah, like I, I definitely, I definitely have a heart to help the poor. Uh, and again, like really appreciate Kevin and Nicole and your honesty. I mean, they, they are our neighbors. They they literally they live ten minutes from where most of us live, and so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning because. What, what, I, what I would hope we take away from this, this message and from our time this morning is that we want to do more than just help the poor. We wanna empower the poor. We wanna empower the poor to be who God designed them to be. And, and my, my, my very first introduction to poverty and to people living in, in poverty was actually when I was in the sixth grade now, when I was in the sixth grade, I, I might have peaked at like 65 pounds soaking wet. I was like this teeny, tiny, scrawny little kid. I really don't know why my parents let me go uh, to Mexico on this short-term mission trip, but they did. And so we were, we were preparing for this, these like 200 little kids to come and we're gonna do this like backyard Bible school and we were super excited about it. And my role for whatever reason, uh, as a group decided my role would be to dress up like a clown and welcome people. So like a big old clown wig, right? I mean, the squeaky nose, the whole, the whole thing, the big, big huge feet in the clown outfit with two huge pockets filled with candy. And so the the, the first busload comes in and uh, the, the kids start coming and I'm like being as goofy as I can be, as welcoming as, come on in guys, so glad you're here, so glad you're here, and and I, I t- Big mistake, take a piece of candy out of my pockets. And all of a sudden, I find myself running for my life, but I got these big, huge feet on. Like, I can't. I don't think I make it more than like five steps. And these little Mexican kids grab me, throw me to the ground. They pick me up over their head. I don't know why they did this. I mean, it was only like this high off the ground. Pick me up over their head and drop me like. Then they grab my pockets, rip my pockets off, and take every single piece of candy I had. (laughs) Welcome to camp, kids, glad you're here. That was my very first exposure to, to people living in poverty, but certainly wasn't my last. Uh, you know, even, I've gone on several different short-term missions trips and been to third world countries, but, but even for myself, uh, having been a youth pastor for about 10 years, uh, youth pastors, and I know this is no, no different for our experience, kind of hovered right around the poverty line for many, many years. And I found myself on so many occasions saying things like, man, like, I'm, we're, we're, just, we're just broke, like we, we have no money. And so, so I thought it'd be kind of funny to, to see what other people uh, are saying when they say, I'm so broke. So I did a little Google images search. Here's what I found. Okay, first one, I'm so broke, my kids are only one flat tire away from starving. Um, first world problems, right? I mean, we even have cars for our kids, like kind of mind-blowing. Okay, this, this next one. Uh, I, I'm so broke, I had to choose between buying groceries and paying the power bill. I bought beer, <laughs> I think that was uh, Crazy Panda tweeted that one out. Um, thank you, Crazy Panda. Next one, I'm so broke, but I still have the NFL package on dish, smoke four cartons a day, and put away a case of beer every weekend. First world problems, right? Hopefully that's not us, DiCaprio. I don't think you're actually broke. Um, last one, how broke are you? If someone robbed me, it would be just practice. <laughs> I'm so broke. But, but in all reality, poverty, poverty exists in, in so many ways. Uh, for, for us as Americans, most of the time when we think of poverty, we think of uh, a, a lack of some material or financial uh, possessions, but, but poverty can, can hit any of us, uh, and, and, and we can be walking through this, this place of poverty, uh, and it can be like relational poverty, uh, you know, I think, I mean, how many people, I mean, uh, Ethan, you shared in your story, I mean, it's such a powerful story. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, but I think that that's, I mean, what a lot of people face, right? I mean, especially in this culture, in this context, where we have like thousands and thousands of followers and friends, and yet we're so incredibly lonely. I mean, think of how many people that you've seen or heard of that, that are like wealthy beyond imagination and, and are being medicated for depression and loneliness and struggling with suicide. Like, I mean, just, relational poverty, emotional poverty, sexual poverty. I mean, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna go into that too much other than to say that this, this culture pushes so much of a sexual agenda that, that as a culture, we've become impoverished sexually. I mean, sexual poverty is all over the place. Poverty can, can exist in so many different ways, but, but this morning, I think we're really gonna focus on poverty as, as a lack of something material, uh, it, it, but, but it's all the same. It, it's all rooted in the same thing. This place of hopelessness, and brokenness. Uh, the, the the World Bank uh, they surveyed uh, sixty thousand of the poorest people in the poorest countries all around the world. And, and and as they were as they were interviewing and doing these surveys, here's what they found: that those who are living in extreme poverty uh, use these words to describe their experience: shame, worthlessness, fear, humiliation, and hopelessness. Because the truly poor define poverty as a mindset. Is a mindset, and, and I, I saw this uh, several years ago. I was, I was on a mission trip in Haiti, one of the poorest countries in the world, and uh, I, I was a youth pastor up, up north uh, at Walloon Lake Community Church and, and had an opportunity because I, because I had been to third world countries before, had an opportunity to, to do some training, getting our group prepared, and, and just talking to, to some of our folks in our church, like what, what's life going to be like there when you don't have running water? Right, like what, what? What do you do? So, uh, just just started sharing some of the stories from some of my experience. That like there's no running water, so that means like when you go to the bathroom, you're gonna use what they call a long drop. You guys can figure that one out. Um, a long drop, right? And then, or or you have uh, you, when you want to take a bath or a shower. Uh, I, my first experience with this, it took the, the guy that I was staying with who knew that I was from the United States, who knew that I had no experience, it was my first time, uh, it, was in, it was in Liberia, Western Africa, and uh, he, he didn't tell me what a bucket bath was just let me believe that I just used cold water all the time. And so I was freezing for like five, six days. But he told me, and so I had the opportunity to tell uh, our folks at a bucket bath. So if you guys ever go to a place with no running water, you ask for a bucket bath. They'll give you, they'll boil water, make it really hot, give it to you in a five gallon bucket, and then they'll have another bucket with cold water. So you, you mix the water so it's the right temperature and then you have a little rinsing bucket and then you, you clean yourself. But uh, the thing that struck us and, and the group of us that were there in Haiti Beyond anything else that we could have ever thought, was the joy and the love that this community of people had. Like it, it was mind-blowing. Like the, the juxtaposition of having nearly nothing and yet experiencing such incredible joy in life. Like it, just, it blew our minds. Uh, and so then, as I was preparing for this message and and thinking about what what the World Bank discovered, I mean that the, the truly poor define poverty as a mindset. It, it takes on a whole new meaning. But you know, we we have. We, we have poverty right around us. I mean, we saw this in Kevin and Nicole's story, right? And Franklin Avenue Mission, they, they are uh, an organization that we, that we partner with on a regular basis. And, and Kevin and Nicole, that, I mean, they talk about the church and being ministered to. It, it was through the organization, Franklin Avenue Mission. And uh, they're, they're five to 10 minutes from where most of us live. They are our neighbors. And so, as we're preparing for this message, as I'm thinking about this, is, as we as a church process, how will we neighbor? the poor. We have incredible opportunities to do that. Uh, and, and many of us have, have participated and done things with Franklin Avenue Mission. We had over 40 volunteers just last month that went and did clean and green uh, and, and was, was serving uh, that community. And it, it was an incredible time. Uh, but but we ha- I think we have an opportunity for us to kind of take that next step. Because it's one thing to provide, provide relief whenever there, there's situations or, or circumstances that, that are difficult. But but I think God wants something more from us and God wants something more for those living in poverty. It, this idea that, that we can participate in what God's doing, this, this restoration work of helping people become who God created them to be. And Jesus, he, he teaches, how we're supposed to neighbor the poor uh, in Matthew chapter 25. And so we're going to dive in there a little bit this morning. In Matthew chapter 25, there, there's, a, there's this, this passage, it's towards the end uh, of that chapter where, where Jesus is telling us exactly how we should interact with those who are living in poverty. And he says, hey, if you see somebody who's hungry, you should feed them. If you see somebody who's thirsty, you should give them a drink. If you see somebody who's sick, you should should bring them the medicine they need to bring them healing. If you see somebody who's naked, you should give them clothes. If you see somebody who's homeless, you should invite them in. I mean, he tells us in verse 40, Matthew 25 verse 40, he says, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So the way that we neighbor the poor, that, that that that's how we view Jesus that's how we' the way that we love God is the way that we love other people if you want if you want to talk about like growing in your relationship with God love other people well we want to we want to learn how how do we neighbor the poor we we, we, we help them with food with drinks we, we invite them in uh, but but then but then there, there's this other passage in, in verse 45 40, through 46 and what, what Jesus tells us here is it's critical. So he's addressing the people that did not neighbor the poor well. And he says this. He says, and he will answer. I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you are refusing to help me. Those who did not neighbor well, neighbor the poor well, they were refusing to help me. And they will go into eternal punishment. So it's hell eternally separated from God because we refuse to neighbor well. But the righteous, those who neighbored well, will go into eternal life. I mean, what Jesus is telling us here is that eternity is at stake. Every single one of us is either bound for heaven or bound for hell. And there's something very intricately linked with this passage, with this story that Jesus is telling us. And, and, and as I'm processing this, here, here's what comes to mind. The way that we live is evidence our destination. The way that we live, the way that we neighbor the poor, it's evidence of our destination. But Matthew wasn't the only one of Jesus' followers who picked up on this. I mean, we, we see this in, 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 in the book of 1 John. So, this other guy, John, who is one of Jesus' best friends, picked up on these teachings of Jesus. And he, and he has this to say in, in 1 John 3, 17, and 18. If, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? It's a rhetorical question. It can't. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. The way that we live, the way that we neighbor the poor, the way that we live is evidence of our destination. So so what do we do with this? Like, what do we do with the the guy who's standing at the street corner and we're, we're, we're either getting on or off the highway and we see him there, he's got the sign, like, please help, anything will help. Like, what do we do? What, what do we do with Franklin Avenue Mission, this, this organization that, that is, it's five to, th- what do we do with Kevin and Nicole? Like, how do we respond? What are we supposed to do? How do we, how do we deal with that, like, skepticism? So I know it kind of funny in those video, that video at the front end, but, like, I know for myself, I've had those kind of skeptical thoughts before. Like, how, how do you wrestle through that, and what are we supposed to do? I, I think all of us, at least on some level, have this desire to help, this desire to help. But, but if, if helping the poor, if, if the poor define poverty as a mindset, then it can't just be throwing things at them, right? I think that there's a, there's a piece of that that is needed, but it can't just be that. We must learn to give in a way that helps and doesn't hurt. I, I know for myself, I, I was on a missions trip. It was back in 2005 uh, to South Africa. It was actually the, the trip that I met Laura on. Uh, and and we were there for a month, and it was on one of the very last days. Uh, one of the pastors who was there, Pastor Thomas, he, he had asked, hey, is there anyone that would like to come and, and help serve the poor this morning? And I was like, sure, I'll go. And he didn't tell me where we were going, just knew that we were going to serve the poor. And uh, th- this, like, it, it forever changed and shaped the way that I just I view life. Because in that moment, we, we we pulled up to a garbage dump. And I was like, Where are we? where are we going? He said, to the to the poorest of the poor community here in in Jeffreys Bay, South Africa. And and what startled me the most is that when when our truck stopped and we started getting out of the truck, it was children between the ages of 10 and 18 that were crawling out of bushes, lifting up pieces of garbage where they had made uh, a place to sleep for the night. It was one of the most heartbreaking experiences that I've I've ever been a part of. And I think like most of you would have done it. This, I, I felt like there has to be something more that I can do than just give them this food in this moment. And, and so I, I did what I think anyone with a beating heart would do. I walked back to the truck. I rifled through my backpack and I found my wallet. And I, th- I knew like, I got like 30 or $40 in here. Like maybe this will help. And, and I, 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 Thomas, the pastor Thomas knew probably what was going on. I think he had done that before. And He followed me back to that truck. I was like, Jason, you can't give him that money said, did you see all the scars on the face of that child? Yeah. That was because the last time someone gave him money, he bought whiskey, got in a huge fight, and has scars all over him because of it. So we have to learn how to give in such a way that helps and doesn't hurt. And I'm not saying, obviously, that everyone who's impoverished lives that way and does that, but but in this case, we have to ask, how can I help? How can I help? The, The root of all poverty, ultimately, is brokenness it's brokenness. There's so much there's so much like evil and sin in this world that it has broken our relationship with God. But it's not just that sin exists in this world. It's not just that evil exists in this world. It's that we have done things. I have done things to break and sever my relationship with God. God created me to live in a relationship with him, but because of the stuff I've done, personally me, I've broken that relationship with God. And we all live in that state of brokenness. Every single one of us. And and this brokenness extends beyond just our relationship with God. It it impacts the way that we view ourselves. This brokenness as a result of the choices I've made, as a result of the sin that has infected this world, has has broken the way I view myself and then then it has broken the way that I view others. And and, and there's so much selfishness and exploitation that exists in this world because of the state of brokenness, and, and for some, they, they, they live perpetually in the state of brokenness, and, and it becomes so difficult to get out of this cycle of brokenness that, they, that they're stuck there. And I, I think that's why uh, in, in Luke chapter four, that tell, tells a story of when Jesus, he, he walked back into Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was, was his hometown. This is where he was raised. And so as was the custom, uh, uh, specifically of Jewish men and Jewish teachers, uh, and Jesus was known as a rabbi, he was known as a teacher, and he walks back into Nazareth because he knew, Jesus knew, that it was his turn to read from the scrolls, to read from uh, the, 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 what we would refer to as our Old Testament. So he was handed the scroll of Isaiah. And what's super fascinating is this, the scroll that he was handed of Isaiah, it's the same book that you could find even today in a a Jewish temple, the same book of Isaiah. It's the same book of Isaiah that's in our Old Testament. The scroll of Isaiah was written hundreds and hundreds hundreds of years before Jesus was here on earth. And when Jesus walked into the temple, he was handed the scroll and he began reading the, the appropriate section of text that was for that morning And here's what he reads. He says the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And as you read this passage, that those who are are listening to Jesus, they're in awe. They're like, how could this be? Like, is this really? Is this really what he's talking about? Is Jesus really saying that he's the fulfillment of this prophecy, this, this Messiah, the this Savior that we've been waiting for for hundreds and hundreds of years? And then, and, then, and then to remove all doubt, just three verses later, Jesus says, today, today, this right here that you've been waiting for has been fulfilled in your presence because it's Jesus who saves. It's Jesus who brings about healing. It's Jesus who sets the oppressed free. Every single one of us have been impacted by sin, both our own and sinness in this world where we're living in the state of brokenness and we can't save ourselves. And so that's why when Jesus said this, it was so powerful, powerful to that first century community and so powerful for us because it's Jesus who brings about our salvation. And so this morning as as you've been maybe thinking and processing, okay, so if the way that I live is evidence of my salvation, of my destination, maybe as you've been evaluating and looking for that evidence, you're like, I, 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 don't, I don't know. I mean, our, our natural state is to live for ourselves, is to, to get what's best for me. And so this is what Jesus teaches in Matthew 25, to, to feed the hungry, to provide, to provide help and to provide meals and to bring in the homeless. Like That's not something that comes naturally to us. And so as you're, as you're looking maybe for that evidence to, to figure out like, what is my destination? And, I would, I would really encourage you that in this moment right now, that Jesus, he's the key. So if, if, if you're looking for that evidence of where are you going when, when this life is over, the, if the way that you live is evidence of your destination, that the de- determining factor for where you go is what you've done with Jesus. It's what you've done with Jesus. And so right now, even in this moment, in Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he, he came to this earth, born as a baby, fully God and fully man. And he came to bring about restoration for the broken, for you and for me. And so this morning, if, if you've never experienced that restoration, if you've never experienced that healing, you, you, can, you can do something as simple as just tell God, even in the quietness of your own mind right now, God, thank you that Jesus died and that he rose from the dead to bring me healing. But if this morning if if as a Jesus follower you you you're one okay like what do I do with this? Like if this is what Jesus has called me to do and I would identify as a Jesus follower, what do I do? What do I do when I see that guy on the side of the street? What do I do with Franklin Avenue Mission? How am I supposed to respond? So I'm going to give you guys two two things, two things. First, the first thing, we are called to we are called to serve others, not save others. I mean, it would be insulting and dangerous for us to walk into a situation and believe that on some level, we are the answer for their problem. It's insulting and dangerous. No, no, Jesus has called us to serve others, not save others. He is the one who saves. He has called us to serve. So how does Jesus want me to serve? How does Jesus want us as a church to serve? Two things, first, relief. Relief, what is relief? It's immediate temporary help during and after a crisis. So, so maybe, maybe it's the people at Franklin Avenue Mission and we're gonna have an opportunity this morning. Uh, there, many of the parents at Franklin Avenue Mission, they're facing a crisis because in just a few short days, their children are going back to school and, and many of them are gonna be wearing the exact same ratty clothes that they had at the beginning of the summer. And now these children have grown, their clothes don't fit them and their parents are like, what on earth am I gonna do? We asked Franklin Avenue Mission, how can we help? And they say, hey, if you could help by, by bringing in new school clothes, for, for the children in this community, that would be super, super helpful. So you may have noticed as you walked in, there, there's a big picture frame with, with tags on them that, and they have children's sizes, boys' size five, girls' size eight. Like If you could grab even just one of those tags and then if it says a girl size seven or whatever it says, I want you to outfit that child for school, okay? But here's here, here's like the rule for this. If your kids wouldn't wear it, don't bring it, okay? If your kids wouldn't wear it, don't bring it. Don't be going and raiding Goodwill, okay? That's not helpful, okay? If your kids wouldn't wear it, don't bring it. So relief, and, and, and may, maybe it's like an earthquake, maybe it's a tornado, maybe it's a hurricane, may, maybe you're part of a, relas- a disaster relief effort, and that, that is one of the ways that Jesus has called us to help, to serve others, is through relief. But then there's, there's restoration restoration. Restoration is a long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness. That when the disaster relief effort leaves, it's the church that stays. It's, it's Jesus followers that stay and it's our call, it's our commission as followers of Jesus to bring about restoration. Long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness. The, the way that God designed people to live and interact with him and interact with each other. And so again, we have an incredible opportunity this morning to partner with Franklin Avenue Mission. We asked, how can we help? How can we help with both relief and restoration? And so uh, on starting on October 6th, it's going to be an opportunity for us as, as a church to step in in this relief effort. On Sunday evening, October 6th, we're going to be looking for four to six people, and it could be two or three families, but four to six people that would plan, prepare, serve a meal to the 50 people at Franklin Avenue Mission that they they work with in their community and then to lead a Bible study with them and to spend time getting to know them. Again, long-term relationship to rebuild wholeness. So I said we're looking for four to six people. I would love it if we saw like 40, 50 people from Grumlas sign up and and Melissa Miller is our our Connect Group director and she helps to coordinate this stuff. I would love to make her week so hectic this week because so many people responded to this, okay? So in, in just a few minutes, we're have an opportunity to respond to this, but it's relief and restoration. When you think about it, like, how does Jesus want me to respond? It's relief, right? It's, it's that temporary help during and after a crisis and restoration, that long term relationship to rebuild wholeness. This is why, as a church, we emphasize generosity on so many occasions. This is why we have strategic partners like Kingdom Impact Nepal, like Franklin Avenue Mission. And, and we encourage, we encourage giving financially, we encourage investing with our time for both relief and restoration, because organizations like this, if they make the local church the hero, which is what God wants, the church is God's plan A, there is no plan B for us to bring about the hope and the message of Jesus. So we, we want to serve people, not save people, and the second one is we want to relate with people, not rescue them. Relate with people, not rescue them. Oh, it, it's, it's our call, it's our commission. When, when Jesus is saying, I want you to serve people, we wanna relate, we wanna get to know them, we wanna care for them, we wanna love on them. The people that we interact with that are struggling, they're not projects to help, they're people to love. They're people to love. And, and again, asking that question, what do you need? What do you need? So It was actually on the, the um, this trip to South Africa, uh, we, we, the purpose we were there was to do some teaching and training uh, on, on HIV AIDS, right? Because it was ravaging the, the country. And so we had this whole program that we we're doing in the local schools. And then at, in the afternoons and the early evenings, we had the opportunity to go to the, the families that lived right there in that area and, and to, to find out how we could help, how we could serve them. And and the primary tool that we were given was, was cap, uh, to plant a cabbage garden. Uh, apparently cabbage grew super, super well and it's something that would be helpful. You know, the renewable resource. Source. And, and so we, we get there to this lady's home. I, I remember like, like it was yesterday and uh, we, we talked with her for like 30, 40 minutes and, and hey, like, we would love to help you out. Like, can, can we plant a garden for you this afternoon? And she's like, well, I don't really need a garden. And then she brought us aside and very proudly showed us this massive vegetable garden that had way more than we could have ever possibly offered. So we asked her this question, how can we help? And what she had us do uh, was one of the most odd things I've ever done in my entire life. She, she said, all right, can you guys grab these five-gallon buckets, go out into the pasture and pick up cow patties, cow poop, and fill the bucket with cow poop. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we reluctantly went and did that, came back with four or five buckets of cow poop. And then uh, she, 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 gave, she had us give these buckets to the ladies and, and, and had the ladies fill these buckets with water I don't know where you're going with this lady, but okay, if this is what you say you need help with, here we go. And then she proceeded to tell these ladies, they're mixing up this cow poop mixture with their hands. I mean, they don't have power tools, with their hands. And then they proceed to take this cow poop mixture, put it all over their floor and halfway up their walls. To this day, I have no idea why they did that. So if any of you know, please let me know so I know what the heck was going on. It was like a mystery, 13-year-old, 14-year-old mystery. Um, But we asked, how can we help? And that's what she said. That's what she said. And so this morning, this morning, we've asked Franklin Avenue Mission, how can we help? And they gave us those two things that I mentioned just a few minutes ago. And so this morning, as, as you as you uh, head out the doors this morning and, and continue with your week, would you consider grabbing one or maybe more of those tags? And again, every tag, I want you to outfit that child with, with clothes for the school year. If your kids wouldn't wear it, don't bring it. And the second thing that you could do, is that's relief, right? Restoration, the meal and a Bible study. Uh, we're, looking, we're looking for a group of four to six people. Maybe it's two or three families. Maybe you, maybe you bring, get your whole family involved. You're gonna plan, you're gonna prepare, and you're gonna, you're gonna serve a meal to about 50 people at Franklin Avenue Mission uh, on Sunday, October 6th. Okay. And again, if we have like 12, 15, 20, 40 people that all sign up, like we'll do it more than just one week. Maybe we'll do it every single first Sunday for the rest of the year, maybe into 2020. That would be fantastic. We're going to start with October 6th. So right now, if that's something that you're interested, would you guys get your phones out right now and you can text serve to 810-510-0298. So if you're interested in serving and bringing about this, this restoration work, to, to our neighbors, those that live just five to 10 minutes down the road for most of us, would you text serve to eight one zero five one zero zero two nine eight and and we'll get you all the information that you need. Let's.